Welcome to the Tech Talk Show, an hour of news, views and discussion. Well, welcome to the show. I'm joined in the studio with Dan. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Hi, Steve. I'm well, thank you. You? It's good. Coming up on the show, we have got Charlotte Walker Osborne from Eversheds. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also going to go to a telephone interview with Keshav Malawi. Malawi. That's right. Power of you. And we've got some fantastic news stories coming up. But first, we're going to go to the telephone and have a little chat with Robert Dragan, who's from Lernium. Hi, Robert. Hi, Steve. Hi, Dan. Hi. Uh, thank you for joining us. It's great to have you here. So, um, Lernium, tell us a little bit about how you came about to invent it. Um, Lernium is an educational software company. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, I met my co-founder, still in Arun, at the Graduate Entrepreneurship Program uh, based in uh, Newport in South Wales called the Alacrity Foundation. Right. We started looking at the education sector, trying to understand what are the biggest challenges that that the education sector is facing. And um, I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with the education sector, but picture this scenario. Picture that you are a company that is selling a product, and because of some issues in the supply chain, you have to triple the prices of your product. How would your customers react? I'm sure they would be curious. Pretty badly, I would Yes, exactly. This is exactly what happened with universities a few years back, if you remember. Yeah, it was with fees. Tuition fees from 3,000 to 9,000 pounds uh, overnight. And ever since, uh, parents and students have been asking for better value. Um, The cost of education has been going up and up, uh, not just in higher education, in other um, sectors of education in the UK and internationally. Um, In the UK, there is another problem that Uh, The government has recently implemented uh, the Teaching Excellence Framework, which directly links funding to student satisfaction. Really? It means that under this framework, if universities are not able to deliver great teaching and learning experiences to their students, then they cannot increase their tuition fees. Right. Um, this is obviously a big issue for universities, but the similar issues are are, are being seen in the other uh, areas uh, of education. So this issue of student satisfaction is really important. Yes. Uh, myself and my co-founders uh, started speaking with teachers and students trying to understand what would improve their uh, teaching and learning experience. And we found out that a lot of the software that they used uh, is old and clunky. Um, they often describe their existing learning environments as glorified drop boxes <laughs> that, uh, where the teachers just upload materials and the students download them, but that's not quite uh, suitable for the the challenges uh, ahead. Um, So we began reimagining the online learning environment with the help of students and teachers, and we pictured the modern platform that made people feel part of a community, a place where the learners could interact with each other and with their teachers, um, a piece of software that made it really easy for people to communicate and share interesting content with each other, a a bit more democratic learning environment. Uh, We... We, we call it a social learning platform, and yeah. this is what learning is today. It's a social mm-hmm. learning platform that um, enables teachers and students to connect, communicate, and collaborate with these. So uh, a lot more functionality than just posting work, posting, you know, whatever somebody's done or in terms of a dissertation. It's actually a bit, sure, m- sure. bit more of a communicative 
process between the two? It is. And can that be shared with other students as well? Can it be almost like an open environment? Yes, that's exactly the case. It's it's a social learning platform. And don't think of social in the the context of sharing pictures of cats or what you did last (laughs) night. It's social in the meaning that the teachers and the students um, are part of a community. Everyone can share what they're doing. Anyone can share what they're learning about. because I know in, in an I, academic context. Because I know within the academic world now, peer review and peer critique is really important, isn't it, to the learning process? One of the person that's undertaken the work, but also fellow students as well, learning from the experiences sure. of that one individual. So I assume that exactly. that this supports that process as well. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly what you mentioned. It. Um, one example that comes to my my mind straight away is one of our early customers, Coventry University. Um, I, I know that one of the teachers there asked the students to write a, a, a short essay, a one-page essay, and the students were supposed to share that essay with the rest of the classmates, and the classmates were uh, giving the, the student feedback. So it was a very peer-review type of process yeah. um, where everyone was, was writing something and they were all commenting on each other's work, which, which worked really well. It generated a lot of engagement. And it's that engagement that makes students feel that they're getting something out of it. Uh, if they don't have engagement with other students and with the teachers, students will automatically be dissatisfied mm. with the learning experience. Um, I think that's that's the, the, the connection, that's the link that we see uh, with student satisfaction. Yeah, and you, and you can see that that, that sort of um, being getting that sort of feedback from, from other students and, and you know, is, is really important. Um, so... so mm. as, as, so I'm just wondering: is it um, is it purely sort of academic? Do do um, do the you know is it just purely about um, particular um, I don't know you know particular um, topics of of conversation, or is there a social factor to it as well? So that's an excellent question. We did start by looking at the higher education sector, university specifically. That's where we started a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, ever since uh, we've expanded slowly and we've seen interest in other areas. For example, we have a, ch- a chain of academies called um, the Harris Federation, mm-hmm. and they've developed a program called the Harris Experience. Uh, they have 40-something um, academies uh, around London, and they wanted to take some of their top students or um, some of their students from across their different uh, academies and put them through this program called the Harris Experience, which is meant to prepare them for Oxbridge and the Russell Group Universities. And they needed a platform that could link all their academies together um, and and help these students get into those universities. Um, and they use Learnium for this, and it's, it's, it's been a, a great experience. So that's an example in secondary schools. So, We're also having now um, corporate customers. All right, okay. So you've, you've obviously looked at other markets as well now. Mm-hmm. So, yes. ha- so how long have you been developing the actual uh, Learnium, the actual product? We, we began focusing on, on, on the development process in April 2015. That's when we managed to get um, investment. Right. We raised a quarter of a million pounds from a group of uh, private and public investors um, and that enabled us to focus on developing the product and bringing it to market um, and that that must so have yeah, been, a, been, that a, must been a very very difficult process um, yeah it's 
it, it, it was it was tough. You obviously have to speak with investors. You have to convince them uh, that yeah. your idea is a good idea. Um, but luckily, as I mentioned, we when I met my co-founders, we met through a graduate entrepreneurship co- uh, program called the Alacrity Foundation. And through Alacrity, we did get quite a bit of access to investors. So that, that made things a bit easier. Yeah, that's great. So what was the hardest part? of the uh, solution to develop? What was what was the most difficult for you? Um, I think it's, it's, it's just trying to, to convince um, people that they should um, look at other solutions. Sometimes education can be a bit slow at adopting uh, new um, solutions just because they perceive them a bit risky and this was definitely a challenge in the early days now it's much easier because we have all the use cases we can prove to them that if you use this to drive discussion and student engagement it actually works because we have the numbers um but that's i I think that that was one of the the bigger challenges in the early days and and also i assume you've gone through a huge test program over the last sort of year or so yes um we've We've actually, the way we have approached this sort of testing is that we've expanded horizontally within the institutions that adopted us. Right. When when we approach Coventry University, for example, they did use us with 500 students in one class. That was it. It was a big class, but it was only one class. But ever since, they've expanded us, and um, they're now using Learnium in all the different faculties in the university. So that's... That, that's a way that we've scaled within a university. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I think that was the right decision because it gave us feedback and it allowed us to iterate um, and identify the things that we were not doing quite right, improve upon uh, upon the feedback from students and teachers um, and, and get the product to a, a far better uh, state. Yes. And so I'm just wondering for um, for people that are, for students that are using it and, and obviously the, the academic mm-hmm. faculty, I'm presuming it's not just you know um, available through through a desktop. Do you have um, a mobile apps as well? Um, we do have one, uh, mm-hmm. and we're working on a major revamp of the app. Um, what we found was that a lot of the users that we have nowadays are using and coming from mobile devices. Mm-hmm. Um, so the development guys showed me this morning uh, the the latest state of the app, and it looks really really good. The new one will will make things much easier hot off the press that's good so so, um obviously where do people go to find out more information about the functionality do you have a website the best the best place is just checking our website which is learnium.com yeah um you will be able to to find more information there if you want to email us if that's your preferred way of contacting us uh, email us at hello at learnium.com and we'll uh, we'll get back to people and is it is it how is the costing profile made up? Is it about per user or is it just a license for in, a, uh, an establishment? In the education in yeah. the education sector, we are charging uh, per teacher. Um, yeah. okay. We are charging thirty pounds per teacher per month. Um, okay. The teacher can bring in as many students uh, as he or she. Uh, once yep. in the corporate sector, we are looking at a pricing model based on the number of users, just because the corporate sector is slightly different but than the, the education sector. But the thing for companies and everybody really concerned is that it saves so much time and being able to collaborate effectively and efficiently. I should think that's yes. a, a good a good way really to 
prove its worth. Definitely. And um, since you mentioned collaboration, um, I actually forgot to mention this, and it's extremely important. Uh, we are one of a handful of companies, I think nine at the moment, uh, in the world to integrate with Microsoft Office uh, online, which means that people that are using Learnium can extremely easily, seamlessly collaborate on Office documents, on Word documents, on Excel documents, uh, on uh, PowerPoint uh, presentations with each other. Okay. You can do it in a very collaborative way. Yeah, I mean, that's a very important um, USP, really, of being able to... Mm, yeah. It is. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us, Robert. It's been really great to hear about um, what you've done and also your experiences as well of setting up a company and some of the pitfalls there. That's really useful. So, uh, com more information yeah. there and thank you very much for joining us thank you very much for your time Stephen Dan thank you thanks thank Robert you. bye Bye-bye. well there you go Dan that was actually really interesting was, uh, yeah. to know yeah yeah and also having been uh, 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 served at university served at u- served well whatever attended <laughs> Coventry <laughs> University in the cafeteria I, I was yeah I was working there actually I didn't actually study <laughs> Anyway, Harry has now joined us. Hello, Harry. We're going to do the news first, Harry. So uh, coming up, Dan. Yes, coming up. In the news, I've got the most awesome drone story. But we'll come to that in a minute. So go on. What have you got first? Okay, so I know something that I'm I'm sure that you will absolutely love. Um, The indestructible Nokia 3310 is potentially coming back. No. Yeah. So um, reports ahead of the uh, Mobile World Congress. Indicate yeah, that say this... that again for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Mobile Word Congress. Oh, you got it yeah, out that time. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Uh, th- yeah. Th- this um, sort of iconic, virtually indestructible phone that was known for its um, massively long battery life and, and having the snake game um, is potentially coming back. So um, Finland's HMD Glo- Global Oi Group, which was formed by... Um, Could you say that again as no, well? I'm not <laughs> formed by uh, um, former Nokia staffers... Um, after it was um, the company sort of went bust and sold on, um, yeah. are now looking to bring the um, brand back. Yeah, uh, yeah, and so it, it looks set to cost about fifty nine euros, um, and they'll be bringing that back along with a range of sort of mid priced Android phones. I I loved my ninety seven ten Nokia. It was the best phone in the world, it's like amazing. a brick. Yeah, but indestructible. It, it's amazing when you think back how they were everywhere, weren't they? Everybody Nokia had phones, one. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely, really, really good. Well, have I got a st- couple of stories for you actually i don't know have you i have yeah i've made an extra special effort today um (laughs) an effort an effort (laughs) ehang 184 is yeah absolutely the ultimate drone on steroids capable of lifting a person wow of 100 kilograms so i'm not sure i could because i'm probably (laughs) a little bit over that um but moving on but yes so and it's going to be a one-passenger carrying drone. Uh-huh. It has a 30-minute flight time. Okay. 30-minute flight time. Yeah. And the passenger jumps in, touch the screen, and it selects where they want to go. So How frightening could that be? So, so, the, so they don't pilot it in any there's way? There's nothing. Well, you could try, yeah, but <laughs> no, no, there's no controls other oh. than a touch screen. Oh. I don't think I could do that. Scary, do you? James, could you do that? Uh, probably not. How, how high does it go? Uh, That's high enough a factor. Yeah. Well, <laughs> knee height, James. Um, just to say, it's only the last couple of inches of when you crash that actually kills you. So yeah. it doesn't matter if you're a hundred feet or <laughs> ten thousand feet above the ground. It's the last two inches. I, th- I think I'll pass then. 
I think yeah, I'm not case, sure yeah. I could. Yeah, no, I'd, I think I'd like to give it a go, but yeah. I would be. It would it be the new sort of extreme sport bungee jumping equivalent yeah. of the 21st century? I mean, they've said they've actually experimented with this vehicle flying in the Dubai skies already, and the device was approved for testing in Nevada in June 19, uh, 2016. Well, uh, it's resilient to failure. Well, yeah, well, everything fails. We know that, don't we? Yeah, so this will never sink. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, um, we we would like to see the drone flying for at least a thousand hours before I saw a human in it. Well, yeah, I won't be. I'll say about ten thousand hours if that was me. Thanks. <laughs> and it'd be some other human. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to watch somebody. In yeah. fact, Harry, I'd like to watch Harry. He's in definitely it. under hundred yeah, kilos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is under hundred kilos. <laughs> so yeah, so are you, James? Oh no. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So that's mine. Have you any more? I, I, I do have another one. Yeah. What you got? Um, so Facebook is looking to further monetize uh, video content. So, yeah, um, okay. so, you know, Facebook's growth can be attributed to their integration of video content. So there's two things here that they're announcing that they've um, developed dedicated apps for Apple TV and Amazon Fire and the Samsung Smart TV. And they'll be ro- rolling out these sort of video TV um, uh, services. Yeah. Um, and then additionally, that they've changed the way that video is going to be managed within the Facebook um, platform and app yep. in that um, s- the sound will be um, enabled by default as on. Okay. Yeah. So um, it'll be, car- you know, so as you scroll through, it'll, it'll be blaring out whatever the oh. cat video is, your, you know, your friends yeah. are sharing. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's great. Eh? Yeah. Anyway, that is the end of the news for now. And we are going to go to this. You know, I've forgotten about this. You'd forgotten about yeah, it. How could you forget? How could you? I'm an idiot. Unboxing. <laughs> so, so we've got Harry on Periscope. Yep. Tech yeah. Talk Show UK. Come and have a look and join Thank us. Oh, James is going to oh. be here presi- presiding over operations as we speak. <laughs> right. And oh. we've got the boxes right. out, Dan. Oh, look at this. Now, this is some packaging. It is, so this isn't is the it? Aurora Master. What the hell yep. is that? It <laughs> <laughs> it's a great there's, start. There's a picture on the front, and I'll put it on, uh, Dan, on, on Periscope. the 1980s want their box back. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, um, it shows a family on a, on a bed in their pyjamas, um, enjoying the glory of the Aurora Master projected onto their ceiling. Isn't, didn't we used to have those in the 60s with the Chad Valley slide show thing? I, I wasn't in the 60s. Yeah, thing. I was. Yeah, yeah. yeah firmly. Uh, so we've got the worst packaging in the yeah. world that looks like it's yeah. dropped out the 1980s. Strong start. Some, oh, we've got some... Uh, some instructions. Off. Also... Let's not throw those away. No. Well, they're in completely in Chinese. So, Are they? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's throw those away then, Dan. Uh, it's well firmly in there. It looks like a, a cheap set of scales. Yeah, there's, there's so it's fairly firmly set. <laughs> it does, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. So there's a number of different cables that come with it. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, if there's a lightning one, I could do uh, with a new one. I broke the last one. <laughs> yeah. Is there yeah, one? No. Uh, right. Okay. So, so we, we have... have it's, uh, so it looks like a, sm- a small mixing bowl, doesn't it? Does, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah a cheap or, set or of scales. scales. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we've got so a white A white bowl, plastic. it looks like, with a with a small white stand and three buttons. Okay, we might um, need the lights off soon. Yeah. Oh, oh, did oh yes. Did oh, shoot, we're going to do it in the dark. Oh, this is... Yeah. Oh, Dan, don't touch me like that. Yeah, so we're completely in the dark. And Dan has now switched on the Aurora so Borealis because, or whatever it's called. Because What's the lights went off quite quickly, I, I just hit a number of... There's three buttons on it and I just hit them in some sort of sequence. Right. It so has meant that there is now a light, a coloured 
nebula, maybe, projected onto the ceiling. Well, and it seems to be swirling. Nebulas, gently. not really. Well, do you feel more relaxed now? Do I? I feel tired. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I'm going to go to sleep soon with the lights <laughs> off. Have you had your tablets today? No, yeah. I've not had my Pro Plus. So yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> no. What is this thing? Um, um, don't don't look away from the light, Dan. <laughs> don't look at the lights. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like I suppose it's it's kind of the effect of a, of a lava lamp, but projected onto on the ceiling. A, yeah, it's got a strange sort of calming effect, though. You feel that? I think there's other other modes as well. Oh, is there? Oh. Hang on, is that you oh, spinning that was, it around? That was me. I, um, oh, so right. Hang on, let me see if I can see. have enough light to I'm see where the relaxed, is. I'm feeling relaxed, Dan. I'm feeling very, very relaxed. Don't you fall asleep on me, Steve. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to go soon. Hey. Come on, Harry, come on, Harry, help us out here. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, right. yeah. As Darry, Harry, have you pressed another button? Hang on, put your mic up. Oh, hang on, here Ooh. we go. Oh, oh hang red. on, we've hey. gone a very red. Oh, it's like, it's like, it's like what slow motion then? And now we've gone blue, oh, we've gone red again. So now it's fully red. Actually, then, I went oh, to a oh. place that had a ceiling like that in Amsterdam <laughs> once. <laughs> Did you only see the ceiling? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh, it's gone into yeah. This is this, now it's disco. It's gone to disco yeah. mode. So we got blue, red, blue, green yeah. mixture okay, ceiling. I'm going to try another setting. Okay. Oh, oh yes, that has definitely red. takes me back to Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> No, so we've blue. gone blue. Yeah, no. That's a bit like a swimming pool refraction. Yeah. Should we, what colour do you want to go for? There's one more feature, Green. isn't there, Green. Harry? Yeah, there is another feature to this as go, well. Go, Harry, tell us. In that little um, packet you got there, Dan. Yeah. Which can you, can you connect two, it? There? Hang on, do you turn the light on if you like? Yeah, can we have the light on? Dan can't see a thing. Yeah. And I've got the glasses on. Oh, my God, that's bright. <laughs> it's like the end of a disco right. when okay, the lights so come you're on. you're suggesting this needs plugging in? Yes. To some music. Yes. Oh, this is going to be great. Uh, I've got the music ready, Dan. Bear in mind, it was Valentine's Day on Tuesday, so we might have some appropriate music. You get the lights, Dan. Here we go. He's going to plug it in. James has got... Who have you dusted off for that one now? George Michael? Serge Gainsbourg, surely. The volume's just gone. Here it comes. Here we go. Put the mic on it, James. Get it on, Dan. Oh. So has it got a speaker in it as well? Yeah, it's inbuilt. All right. Yeah. That's quite good. Are you feeling love, Dan? <laughs> I'm feeling <laughs> a bit disturbed now, actually. Yeah. I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, a room full of men and we've yeah. got to get it on. <laughs> Your stories of Amsterdam, I was fine with, but yeah. now, it's <laughs> now I'm feeling a little bit unnerved. Yeah. 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 This, you know... It's um, it's certainly a thing, isn't it? It really is a thing. <laughs> I have no it's out there. I've yeah. no idea what you'd use it for. Well, I have a few ideas, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Who um, thought of getting this, Harry? <laughs> <laughs> How do you find no, something was, like this? James, a, have you had another... a weekend of love? Is that what it is? <laughs> uh, yeah, we, I thought it's... I'd reuse another one of my <laughs> Sorry? products. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a full set of batteries he's had to put in it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you're not meant to reuse them. Um, uh, I assume that's related to Valentine's Day. Yes, we thought we'd go it? with something sl- slightly romantic related, yeah. and that's the best we could come yeah. up with. <laughs> well, is it not the third best? Uh, yeah, the third best thing. Yep, yeah, right okay. Yeah. Oh uh, my so, God. so that is quite remarkable. So should we guess how much um, that thing is? I suppose we really should. Um, so I, I, I'm going to go five pounds. Okay, uh, I'm thinking... Yeah, £7.50. Okay, you're so both 
James. Harry, what would you think? Do you know? Uh, I do know how much it costs. Okay, so <laughs> better <laughs> not. <laughs> you better not tell us. Is um, it yours, Harry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, so uh, we got it for £16.98. <laughs> Did you? £16.98? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you were mugged. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it also has an auto shutdown after one hour it feature. It. Yeah, you so it can it. be used to relax you before sleeping. Um, yeah, it transports you to the open seas anytime you dim the lights. Really? Well, that's apparently. We sh- yeah. We d- we come d- and read some more of that. Is there any more of that? Oh, it's great. This is. Yeah, go on. Come um, on. That sounds hilarious. Creating a romantic leisure and cozy atmosphere of the space to achieve physical and mental relaxation effects. So okay. Yeah. You've yeah. Got both both boxes tick there. Yeah. Um, and the relaxing ocean projector pot innovative light fixture projects a watery ocean light around your room uh, transforming your environment into a relaxing tropical lagoon as you saw yourself yeah, a second ago, Steve. yeah very tropical yeah. very lagoon like <laughs> <laughs> it, it didn't even come with batteries we had to provide those ourselves really? <laughs> yeah so i think i know where this one's going yeah. do uh, you really back to so <laughs> dan uh, um, hit me uh, <laughs> Do you know, I, I was going to say back in the box, but the box itself is so hideous. <laughs> <laughs> back in the bin. Yeah, no, ju- I just think just back in the delivery, back to um, where you got it for returns. Do you yeah. know what? Do you like it? I'm going to, because it's so... Have we got a buyer? Math from Retro. It's a yes. I oh. can relive my days in Amsterdam. <laughs> What um, do you think? Well, Would you have it, James? Would well, despite using it uh, over the last few days, I'm going to say uh, back in the box. Back in the box. So, <laughs> Harry. Yeah, back in the box. I oh, yeah. so that's a fail. <laughs> no. I've, I've just never seen anything quite no, like I'm that. I'm speechless. I'm speechless. I congratulate you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so great unboxing. Whoever yeah, chose that, hilarious. <laughs> so, well done. Okay. okay, Dan. So, we are going to go to a pre-record. We are. Which is uh, with... Charlotte... Um, Walker Osborne from Reversheds. Yeah, and she's going to talk about subcontractors. So I'm with um, Charlotte Walker Osborne, and Charlotte is a partner in the international, um, very famous law firm Eversheds. And she's a partner of, well, she's head of tech, media, and telecoms. Probably more tech these days than media and telecoms, I'm guessing, because it all comes under the same umbrella. Um, Charlotte, thank you very much. You're going to help us um, talk about employing subcontractors. Yes, hi there, Sue, I am. Great. So we've got, um, I think what we find with the small sort of technology firms that we talk to is they start to take people on sort of, um, I don't know, almost by accident. So somebody will do a couple of hours a week and then, you know, business starts to take off. They they need to write more and more code, can't do it themselves. That person ends up doing sort of a day a week, then it's almost full time. But but how do you actually employ a subcontractor or a freelancer in this this position? Because there's lots of issues you need to think about, isn't there? It's, it's, It's important to get some type of contract in place when you do that? It's very important, actually. Um, If you think of most of the startup businesses, um, the real value is in the intellectual property. In the consultancy world, under English law, and we're in England, so uh, generally we'll be looking at English law, um, unless you have a contract, you don't have the, the ownership, the transfer of that intellectual property. Well, wow, that's really serious, isn't it? So what you're saying then, if somebody's sitting and writing some code for you or developing some, I don't know, design work or whatever it is for you, um, unless you've got a contract in place, they probably own that and not you? That's exactly right. Um, unless you've got something else in place place with them, um, 
the assignment really has to be in writing. And, and that can be quite simple. You can have a few pages to deal with that, and you can have it pretty standard form. But it, it, it is really important, even when you're looking at you know one or two hours, it's so important to get that transfer. We've seen people... Um, who've then sort of their business has catapulted or they're looking for their investment rounds and they really are put to test on you know do you own everything Uh, and if you don't do you have the correct licenses so with the consultants generally um, they're probably happy to transfer the ownership uh, but that needs to be documented straight away. That's really shocking. So if, if I've got a photographer, for example, and I pay them to go and take some photographs, I don't actually own those photographs. I don't own the rights to those photographs unless there's something that says I do, even though I've paid for them. Same possibly with a website, same possibly with some amazing piece of code that some, somebody's written. That's quite shocking. Yeah, it, it's uh, just a, it's been a principle in law for a long time. Uh, it's often joked that law takes a while to catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's a fundamental of what we're looking at here is essentially copyright, you know, code, as you say, uh, photographs, etc. Um, yes, I think. I mean, I remember employing a photographer once to do some stuff and I thought, that's OK, because they're my photographs. I then wanted to use them and he's saying, well, you bought them once, <laughs> but actually your use for using them again for different things, you're going to have to pay another extra bit of money again. And I, I learned from there, <laughs> there on in that actually as soon as you employ somebody like that, you have to have an agreement where you say, once I've paid, the transfer of that IP um, goes unreservedly over to me. Is that what you mean by the transfer? It is. Um, And generally, that is what I would recommend. You have the full transfer, everything they write for you, you essentially own, and therefore no one else can do anything with it. you can look at an agreement uh, let's take your photography example where you say well you know I'll agree that they can be used so many times by me over so much period but that should also be in writing so it's about striking the balance with your consultants about what the agreement is and the financial recompense but the key is it's it's in writing doesn't have to be complicated but absolutely has to be in writing. I can imagine that being really difficult if you're if you're coming up with some amazing app or something like that, and you've, you've specifically asked somebody to develop, you know, freelance for you. Probably sitting in your offices with you, coming in, you know, a couple of days a week, and and actually realizing at the end of that you don't own what they've just done. Yeah, and and sadly we've seen that with people, and and you know you can look at rewinding that if you have a good relationship and documenting it after the fact, but if not, you can really get yourself in quite quite a lot of difficulty. So. Um, there's no simple way of saying, you know, one of your key documents as you scale up is this, you know, it's only a few pages, but a few pages to kind of say the parameters around you're going to write something or develop or design something for me and I'm either going to own it or here's the commercial parameters about my license to use it and how many times and the financial kind of recompense. And also what you're saying um, is that then if you go on to subsequently sell your company, the first thing a buyer is going to say is, well, what actually do you own? Do you own that stuff that you've got here because actually you've been using freelancers? Yeah, it's it's really important in terms of valuation. Um, They'll be looking at a couple of things. One, your revenue stream, but two, ultimately, where is the value in the business? 
Um, and either that is IP that is yours, either because you've developed it yourself or your employees have, or you have had this assignment from consultants. The other thing I should say as well is part of this document is to make sure that those consultants um, assign away their moral rights. Uh, sorry to be... Quite well, this sounds very interesting. <laughs> moral rights, yeah. It sounds more exciting than it is, I think. Uh, but it, it's essentially a right to be attributed to that work. Um, so actually, that's another important thing. Um, so what you have to be careful with... Um, it is important to get the right document. So I don't think it is as simple as just going on the internet and finding an assignment and, and feeling that that does the job. I think you want it to, one, assign over whatever is the type of intellectual property, um, and you might need help with that, but often we're talking about copyright, but two, say that they are assigning away their right to be recognised, assigning their moral rights away, and then it's truly yours. So what you're saying is that they can't then say, well, I know that company owns it over there, but actually it's mine. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And, and writing that in social media and, and attributing it to yourself. Is that what you're saying? Kind of. I, I think I'm saying so they wouldn't be right to say it's mine, but they would be right you know, to, to have an association say, I've been involved with that. And you, you probably just want that to be nice and clean. Uh, it, it's not to say, as part of that, you might not, you know, agree to be a reference for them, a public reference for them, but from a legal sense and a, a kind of getting your house in order from ownership, we would recommend that those rights are assigned away. God, that sounds really important, doesn't it? Really, really, really important. Can I ask you, this is slightly off beam, I guess, um, uh, when you're developing your own website and you've got your own business, which everybody probably does now, um, uh, you quite often ask other people to register the domain name for you and all that sort of stuff. Now, I've had problems with an employee who did it for me, then ref- you know, actually put it under their personal name, which I didn't realise because I was too naive, um, and then actually refused to give me the, the access to it. And I, when I actually went through the process of going to the, you know, the domain name registrar who did it for me, they said, well, we can't act for you because you're not, you're not the person involved. It's really important when you do websites and stuff. There's a, there's a number of things you need to tie up there too. Yeah, there absolutely are. I mean, the the simple step is that that you get the domain name yourself, uh, either as an individual, if you're not a company, or in your company name. So it all ties up, can get quite messy. Um, and, and unfortunately, people do exploit that from a money point of view. So getting that set in the first place um, is very important uh, particularly if you you know you have gone as far as registering a, t- a trademark and you have a, a very strong view of you know what you want to be branded as and that that would apply even if you're using an it consultancy company uh, don't get them to put it in their name make sure it's in your company name yeah exactly right um, and you can ask them to do that for you but you'd probably want to be clear um, about that that instruction uh, or, or just do it yourself I mean you can imagine what a mess you'd be in if you didn't even own your own website address that's a really you know really really bad thing anything else you would recommend in terms of the website front, website front if you are building websites um, is it a good idea to build your own is there any legal implications if you do build your own um, probably a favorite area of mine I think when you're building your own from scratch uh, with your own code 
that's quite simple and clean. But in practice, most people will either use cloud uh, or open source as part of that, and they may incorporate pictures, etc., um, as part of the website too. So, in broad terms, if you're writing it yourself, uh, you know that is fine. That's copyright in England, and 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 actually, if you've kind of thought about that and developed that quite carefully, we call it intellectual investment. Then you know you're fine. But you do have to be careful uh, when you're layering that with either cloud either as an infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, um, to kind of build your website uh, or open source. If I turn to cloud first, I think this is quite popular. Take a platform, develop on top. I think the key is to understand, actually, if, if what the agreement terms say, a lot of cloud uh, standard terms can say there can be a termination event quite quickly. Um, and they can be for reasonable reasons, um, such as people do something defamatory and, you know, they can be things that protect the cloud business and that's quite sensible. Uh, but there can be, you know, some sort of strong legal things they put in around how many outages they can have, availability. So I think, you, you know, you do have to read the, the terms and dis- conditions quite carefully. Even though they're horrible and long and everything. I mean, they drive us all nuts. <laughs> you know, when they come to me, you just go, yeah, click, yeah. But actually what you're saying is this could really harm your business later on, if, especially if you're dealing on, on, on a website, your very web-based business. Um, it's going to be critical. Get, get somebody else to look through it, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're saying. Yeah, I think it's about eyes open. Um, a lot of people use cloud. Uh, there's a lot of benefits to using cloud can be more secure, certainly quicker, uh, and the payment models can work quite well. But unless you've either understood what it means or had, you know, a friend or, you know, someone like me have a have a look at those, you're not going in wide open. Because for me, if that is your way of selling in particular, but even your way of marketing, you want to know it's up there. And if it's not, you want to know you know when that might happen and and actually what is your recourse and when I mean your recourse I suppose what I actually mean is what's your backup plan if they take it down for a while are there particular times they're going to do that you know actually just understanding what they're going to do is quite important and 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 most cloud agreements it's not that they are trying to get the IP from you but it is important to just check you know what you build on it's yours and actually is it easy for you to extract the data at the end particularly if there's customer information so there's more practical things but they're 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 written in the legal terms also um, making sure you can extract yourself as well I'm guessing because um, sometimes somebody might not be delivering you the service that you want and you want to make sure that you can actually get yourself out of that and get yourself to another supplier if you need to yeah, agreed. Um, and there's just such a variety of legal terms, uh, such a variety of commercial agreements. Um, so it is, again, just understanding there might be a benefit that it takes you a while to get out of a contract, you know, 90 days rather than seven days. But I think you, you know, it's important to bear in mind where you are with your business and what your, what your reasonable exposure is. You know, actually, do you want to have to pay for the next three months or actually do you want to change uh, look at options etc 
So um, I'm, I'm with Charlotte Walker Osborne, and she's partner at uh, Eversheds. Um, oh, I've learned some stuff there, and I've been in business for quite a while. So I think the the key takeaway points are make sure you really do own everything that you think you own, and particularly when you're employing subcontractors, consultants. You know, unless you've got something in place, they probably do own what they're doing. Um, surprisingly, um, and if you're going to have your own website and you are using a combination of your own stuff and some open source, whatever. Make sure you do know what you own of that and, and also what the terms and conditions are. Um, so thank you very much, Charlotte. That's really useful. Is there anywhere we can go on the Eversheds website that, that, that might help us with some of that IP stuff? Yeah, I mean, if you go on to um, eversheds.com, there is a tech sector uh, section. So there, there are materials on there. But actually, if there's not the kind of materials you want... You can contact me. Uh, my, I'm there. There's various others. Uh, we've usually got something to hand. Uh, or we can give you a steer. Well, the most important thing is make sure you get it checked out by someone. Thank you very much, Charlotte. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, there we go, Dan. That's always great advice from Eversheds. We have that. Um, we've got quite a few of those mm. we've had in the past. So yeah, really good advice uh, for any business owner actually, or. Uh, business um chief exec so yeah really good anyway we're gonna go to keshav on the line hi keshav are you there and no he isn't so we're going to keshav how are can you? you hear me yeah i can now can you yeah. hear me <laughs> yes absolutely excellent so thank you so much for joining us it's great um power of you tell us a little bit about what prompted you to look at this area so we realized that everything you and I are doing and everybody else is doing is just ones and zeros today, uh, using our devices, our browsers, social media, Fitbit, you name it. And all of this is just data that we're churning out every millisecond of the day. Yeah. And we realized that data is really, really valuable uh, to the tune of $500 billion, and it's going to about $1 trillion in the next five years. And so we asked the question, well, where is our share of this data? Uh, data that we're creating and the value of that, uh, where's the share of that value? Yeah. Um, and that's when we started looking at it a little bit further and saying, okay, well, you, consumers are generating all this and we're not really getting anything back, um, except at times services are giving us, we use Facebook for free or Gmail for free, but we have behind the scenes analytics companies and data brokers who are taking this data without our permission most of the time, um, without really anything back. That's really what has got us thinking of like, that's not a fair system. I want to change that dynamic and give people, us, all of us, a piece of that pie. So a huge amount of data is collected behind the scenes that we don't know. What, what are some of the worst offenders for that, i.e., you know, who's gathering data about me as we speak that I don't know about? Uh, there, there's so many players within that, really? but primarily it would be that, uh, well, Google is pretty explicit in what data they gather. Yeah. Um, they tell you, hey, we're going to use this data for, let's say, Google Now or for Gmail. And, and that's where a lot of us actually give up um, some of the data that we generate uh, in return for something. Yep. So by every means, if you're getting some um, value in return, it makes sense. Yes. Um, and that yep. is the choice that each consumer makes. But the data brokers are truly the ones that would be that don't have a kind of a consumer facing front to really ask you, like, hey, is it OK if we use your data? for this advertising or we use this data to sell something to a brand. Yeah. Um, that's not where you're coming in and giving a permission or getting anything really back. And is it right that this is just going to grow and grow, especially with uh, more internet-based apparatus, whether it's a 
smart fridge or a, a toaster. You know, people are just going to gather more and more information about us as individuals and our lifestyles. So it's only going to get worse. Absolutely. So tell us how your how your uh, solution can help in terms of generating income yep. for somebody. How does that operate? So we are at the end, uh, we are a consumer data hub. And we allow people to do two things with their data. Um, and our goal is to help empower people through their data. So the two things that we do, one, we help people understand their digital life. So what does this data say about them? And we work towards also helping them kind of understand their scope of their presence on the, in the digital world. And the second thing that we're doing is we're helping them monetize this data through market research. And that, that we do through uh, creating anonymized research for brands and media agencies and keeping all the while people are anonymous on our platform. Right. So I'm just wondering, um, it, it seems like a brilliant idea, but um, is, there, um, is there particular groups um, or, you know, people, I, I don't know, sort of, you know, people talk about millennials or, you know, do, do that where their particular data is, is you know, more marketable or more monetizable? In terms of the value of the data? Yeah. Is that the question? Yeah. yeah I mean, is uh, there one particular it, group they're interested in at any one time? So it, it would definitely be uh, on the millennials at the moment. Uh, they are they are definitely very much monetizable just because they are coming up to be their spend ability is going to be increasing in mm-hmm. the next coming years or it is quite great right now. Uh, but honestly, we find that the whole range of people. So we have uh, on our platform, we have people from 18 all the way to 45. Right. And we find that pretty much every single age group is desirable um, because either they're looking at from a professional perspective or they're looking at from digital. If excuse me, millennials are very active on digital, we have moms on the platform and they're very interested in that as well. So really, it ends up being, it's all about capturing actual behavior data. Okay. And yeah. that's, that's what the brands are coming to us for. And, and so there's an active market for you to take that to. And as you say, it's anonymous, the data as well. Correct. Uh, we don't give out any, anybody's identity is not released. Through our platform, working with us or joining our platform, you're not targeted with more ads because of it. Yeah. Your email address is not out there. It's all anonymized. So uh, the actual construction of the solution, so how does that link in with, I don't know, let's say you've, you've, you're on Twitter or whatever else. How would it work with Twitter? Is that possible? Yeah. So we have, uh, when, you join, when you sign up on the platform, you're, you have ability to connect different accounts. Uh, so Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, connecting your browser, your, your app, uh, connecting your mobile phone. Um, connecting to Fitbit, and all of this is done through either you install an app, yeah. uh, you can you install an extension, or you know how you sign in with Facebook somewhere mm-hmm. uh, yeah. on different uh, websites? It, exactly. It's just one click connect. So it's a very quick sign-up process, and once you do that, actually you're done. It, it's a very straightforward. At that point, you're kind of free to do whatever you do, and that's exactly what we want. Right. We want people to just kind of continue their daily lifestyle because it's not meant to be intrusive. So effectively, all your browsing, all your activity goes through this um, solution that you've developed, and that's how it collates the data? Or is it taking right. data so the out data... of... Oh, go ahead. Or is it taking data actually out of um, the uh, main area of use uh, after you've used it? Uh, so 
So it, we don't, I think what you're going for, we don't take it out of circulation. Right. That's something, yeah, we don't, we don't take the data out uh, at, at the moment. We definitely don't do that. Um, and oftentimes it is the user's choice. Um, ultimately, if they really want to block certain data sets, they can do that on their end. Um, but we don't kind of force that upon our users. Um, but, and we're capturing data that's already being generated. That's, that's the really key part that we keep um, iterating and we keep trying to explaining to our users and any new users that we get is the data that we gather is not, we're not creating new data about them. This data is already out there. Yeah. And all we're saying to our users and our and consumers out there is saying, well, if this data is already out there, people are going to use, companies are going to use it. Why not benefit it, benefit from it yourself? Hmm. All right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was just thinking you've um, made quite, you know, um, made a lot of efforts in, in, um, in sort of showing the, the, the security of your system. Um, and, and I presume that people are really keen to understand, you know, you know how, how you're sort of keeping their data. But, it, but it's quite interesting when you think that um, for sort of like for free services like Facebook or Twitter, they're giving their information away free when they sign up to the, the privacy agreements for those, for those sort of sites. Um, right. So, you know, so, so it's quite interesting, I suppose, isn't it, that there's that, you know, there's that um, behavioral thing where people are quite happily signing up for things, but then are, you know, checking your site to see how secure you're, you're being. Oh, it is definitely the case. And, and it's understandable. I think the bigger reason why that happens, though, is because we are a, a younger company. Mm-hmm. So people haven't seen us around forever. Um, and as that grows, they will feel more comfortable. Because I'm, I'm positive there's a big group of people, uh, given Facebook has over a billion people on there, uh, that are actually really looking at Facebook security as well and mm-hmm. saying, hey, are they secure or not? Um, it's just on ours, it becomes, because it's at a smaller scale, it becomes more apparent. Uh, and uh, we are very front and center about the data. I think that's, that's the other part, and mm-hmm. that's really important to us, uh, being a very transparent company from very start. And I think that's another reason why security thought of ideas of, hey, is my data secure or not, really come to the forefront, even if you're not a security expert. Um, and so that's where we are just making our efforts to explain as much as we possibly can mm. um, and, and obviously make our efforts to clarify um, all that as well as make it happen on our end. And, and so what sort, of, what sort of information can people learn about themselves from, from, from using your platform? So at the moment, we have uh, insights focused on your social media habits, uh, your productivity, as well as your browsing habits. Uh, so we're looking at, uh, are you driving more engagement when you share? Um, as a user, you can see if you're driving more engagement when you share um, videos versus links versus posts. Um, or how, what, what's your sentiment on the post that you share? Are you 78% positive and the remaining neutral or otherwise? Um, we're looking at what's your engagement over time. So it kind of gives you a social media snapshot. And then we, you can also see... Are you spending eight hours a day doing social media versus two hours shopping and another one hour just on news? Um, or what, what's that spread like for you? What are your top sites? How has it changed over the last 30 days? Um, and then on the productivity front, you're looking at um, how productive you've been week by week. And then what we're working towards is actually tying the data sets together further. Mm-hmm. So you would be able to see, okay, the days I am using more, uh, let's say, a certain website or a groups of websites, am I more productive that day? The day I listen to a certain type of music or I wake up listening to a certain type of music, am I less productive? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'd be able to kind of tie these data sets together 
and get better understanding of how you're behaving. And as we bring in more fitness data, other things, it becomes even more rich of what we can show our users. That's really good. And obviously you said that that data will then go on to be sold or you know monetized in some way. Um, I mean, will people actually see a return from people buying that data? So to clarify on that part, we don't sell the data. We sell the anonymized insights from that data. Okay. And that's where the market research angle comes in. Yep. And that's how we can keep our users' privacy very secure because so, uh, yeah. we don't ever hand out the data itself. Right. Uh, the way, uh, and actually and to your question around, is there really value? And that's, that's something that's come up a lot. And that's one of the reasons why we uh, work very hard to make that happen before we go out there in public and, are, and kind of blow our horn and say, oh, yeah, we can do this, we can do this, and not be able to prove it. And we have actually done it and are continuing to do it uh, to the tune of 10 pounds up to 50 pounds every time somebody's data is used. Wow, wow that's quite good, yeah. Yeah, sign me up, actually, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm, Brilliant. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a look at that, definitely. So, so um, Keshav, how, how can um, people get um, involved? So, first would be, obviously, sign up on either on our website, so powerofyou.com, um, or without the E, uh, or uh, get download the app on App Store or Play Store. Um, you can get that there. Um, and then further, you, the other thing would be spread the word. Um, get involved in social media. And it's not just about being involved with PowerView. The bigger thing that I, I would encourage people to do is take a look at your own kind of data presence out there mm. and become informed of what is happening with your data. And that's the key because all the other, all the other actions will come from that. As, you, as any consumer becomes more aware of what is going on, they will push, obviously government, they will push businesses towards more ethical practices of how to work with data and their data specifically. Well, I'm on your website now. I love the video under the How We Work section. That's, uh, <laughs> you scroll down, Dan, and there's a really great video. That's, I love that. It's really nice. Fantastic. Yeah. Great. Okay. Uh, well, it's made in PowerPoint, by the way. It was made in what? In PowerPoint. Oh, right. Okay. You know, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Um, thanks for joining us. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. We'll certainly get people. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for joining. Bye-bye. Well, there we go. We're joined now. Back with producer James. Hello, producer James. Hello, Steve. How are Back you? Again? Yeah, not yeah. bad. Thanks. Are you prepared? Have you a story or I've two? Actually, yeah, I've, I've learnt my lesson. I'm always going to yeah. have a story ready. Oh yeah, always have a always story. Always have a story. <laughs> not even on a show day. James, if you haven't got a story, just make one up. <laughs> <laughs> That's Harry's job. Yeah, go on yeah. then. So, what you got, James? Uh, oh, I've actually got a. Have you got a real story? Oh, are a wag. <laughs> I found one. Um, in the Netherlands, they're input, in, in, uh, inputting some pavement lights um, to yeah. allegedly help smartphone zombies. So to avoid people looking down at their phone, not looking where they're walking, and walking out in front of a car or a bus, uh, there's going to be pavement lights, like like a traffic light system. Mm. So right. you, you obviously you have to glance past your your screen, but yeah, you'll um, you'll, you'll see a red light and it's going to prompt you to stop before you you walk in, into the in road. In Amsterdam? Uh, no, mm-hmm. in uh, Bodegraven. Easy for you to say. By some schools, yeah. yeah. To That's start good. off with, it's like a trial. Yeah. There's also one in I think it's Augsburg in Germany. Right. Yeah. So again, to help it out, they're just trialing it to see what it's like, uh, and then they're hoping that the technology can can spread throughout the towns and, and save lives. Yeah. That's great. 
Yeah. Harry, what's happening on Twitter? Yeah, so I've got a fairly tenuous link to tech, but right, okay. I mean, me and James are too young to remember because you know we're millennials and all that. But all right, all DVD right. shops, video shops. Oh, yeah. What's the DVD? There was it's one that was. Yeah. It was trending in Kent this week because um, there was one in Herne Bay and it shut down recently. Yeah. Um, but the owner of this place, you know, like the late fines that you used to get. This, yeah, did, yeah. this owner has gone and hand-delivered letters to 900 customers saying that they owe um, fees from years ago, up to 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so he's gone around, hand-delivered and threatened them with the bailiffs if they don't pay. So there's one woman here. She uh, rented the 1990 Oscar winner, Ghost, in 2002. Oh, yeah. And she's been delivered with a £13 um, uh, charge and the bailiffs are going to get involved if she doesn't pay this £13, 13 charge. <laughs> He's, this guy's clearly strapped for cash because he said he had to go and hand deliver each one so that he didn't pay the postage stamps. Yeah. And yeah, he's just on a bit of a mad one at the moment, basically. So it's going to cost him about £500 <laughs> yeah, to recover yeah. 13 quid. Yeah. Yeah, ov- obviously as well, most of the people don't live in these houses anymore either. So yeah. I think it's a bit of a fruitless endeavour for yeah. them. Also, so if you the have DVD's probably gone in the bin, let's yeah, be honest. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Although I mean, Ghost is not. Do you like a, a bit of Ghost, Dan? Do you like that? Did it convince you to do a bit of pottery? <laughs> no, my mother was potting in it. Was she? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> no, There's no. probably too many <laughs> jokes <laughs> there, really. No, there was a full stop after that sentence. Oh, was there? <laughs> Moving on. I've got one more story, actually. And this goes back to super drones. We're terming them. And actually, there's one that the Israelis have built which can actually pick up uh, wounded soldiers. It's for rescue and military use. And oh. um, it's uh, cormorant, it's called. can carry 500 kilos. So we may just be able to fit in it, Dan. Well, no, I was just thinking. Imagine after a... You know, after a night out, yeah. Hey, yeah. now you're talking. Man down. <laughs> we, like can we have the rescue <laughs> drone? We've the got a man down. Yeah, the beer scoop. <laughs> Actually, I could have done with that last night, I think. Uh, <laughs> Urban Aeronautics says internal rotors make it safe and safer than a helicopter. Well, So, yeah, really, really good. There's a great story about it. And, um, yeah, I think it's got a multitude of uses. Yeah. Would be good. I wonder if you could actually take your kebab with you after it's picked you up as well. So many civilian um, ways of using it. Yeah, so we, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, great show, guys. Thanks for joining us and coming in. And uh, we'll have more next week.